0: Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from 1st Naz Podcast. Well, uh, time to turn our attention to the scriptures that we thanked God for. And since the beginning of this year, 2020, we've been studying the fifth book in the New Testament called the Book of Acts. That's how we just kind of uh, in, in shorthand refer to it. Its its real title is The Acts of the Apostles. And an awful lot of folks who've studied the Bible have said, I'm not sure that's the best title for that book, but it's the ancient, ancient title that came with it. If you read the first four books of the New Testament, it's four different versions of the life story of Jesus, and one of them was written by a man named Luke. If I was going to summarize Luke's book, his first one, um, I would, I would summarize, if I could summarize it in one sentence, I'd do it this way. The Gospel According to Luke, that's the title of his first book, is about what happens when God comes to live with people. It's the story of Jesus, the Son of God, coming and living among men. But his second book, Luke also wrote the book of Acts. If I was going to summarize it in one sentence, it would be this. Acts is about what happens when God comes to live in people. The book of Luke, what happens when God comes to live with people. Acts, what what happens when God comes to live in in people. It's uh, it's a pretty incredible book. Some of the the most incredible and miraculous stories in all of the Scripture are contained in the 28 chapters of this book. I recommend it to you for your afternoon's reading. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking into the life of this, this young man named Stephen, who apparently was one of the very first early followers of Jesus. They He'd been with the disciples and apostles since the very beginning, and they also— Uh, saw in him a great deal of maturity and the fact that he was filled with God's Holy Spirit. And so they entrusted uh, to him a very important, sacred, and sensitive task. And it was taking care of all of the widows who were dependent upon the church for food and other kinds of things. And they knew that Stephen was a person who could be trusted to take care of the most vulnerable. So in many ways, I feel like what we have been doing and other churches have been doing during this whole COVID crisis is we've been walking in the footsteps of Stephen. We've, uh, we, we've, we've decided that we wouldn't meet in large groups publicly. Why? To take care of the most vulnerable, like the widows that Stephen took care of. But then the things that we have been doing, that you have been doing with your neighbors and friends and family, those things are following in the footsteps of Stephen as well as you're helping people with groceries and other kinds of financial needs. Well, that's, the, that's the exciting part about Stephen's story. Stephen's story goes south in a hurry, though, because when we get to chapter 7, we find out that... While he's been just doing this job, he's also had the opportunity everywhere he went to tell the story of Jesus. And he told the story of Jesus in the quote-unquote wrong setting at some point, and he ends up being arrested by the, the, the ruling aristocracy of the city of Jerusalem in ancient Israel. And when he stood before them in trouble for preaching the message of Jesus, he decided that instead of taking it back, he would just go for it that it was his best audience. It was his his most influential audience ever. And he boldly proclaimed everything that he had witnessed in relationship with Jesus. And if you read that story, you find that just as Stephen gets to the end, where you expect the whole crowd to yell, Amen! We believe. Instead, this pack of people just absolutely lost their minds in rage. Now feel this, because it's really important. Just a, a very few months earlier, this same mob that, that, that rushed upon Stephen had, had maintained self-control, had kind of worked on some strategy. They worked through the channels of authority, and they went to the, the, the greatest political authority in their land, and they were trying to get Jesus crucified. But they said to, to the ruler, we don't have the right to do this. We don't have the authority to execute people, and we think this man deserves to be executed. You know how the story of Jesus went with his trial and execution. Just a few weeks or months later, however, this same mob just loses it when Stephen preaches the message of Jesus. They rush upon him. They drag him out into the streets. It's 71 men, 71 old men, who completely lost control of themselves in a fit of rage, dragged this young man out into the street, and started hurling rocks at him, I don't know. Probably most, most people are about like me, average in aim. If I got to hit something with a rock, I'm going to have to get awfully close. So, Kind of picture this, would you? It's a mob of religious folks in religious garb, men who should be wise, men who should be patient, men who should be loving by this point, rushing upon this young man from just a few feet away and bashing his head in with heavy stones. It's an ugly, ugly situation. And they thought that when they had done it, that they had effectively stamped out the message of Jesus. Because as, as Stephen fell to the earth, he asked God, he, he, he pronounced his forgiveness for these people. and He asked God to forgive them as well. But as he fell to the earth, many Christians ran for their lives. We read in the, in the book of Acts that just a few of them ended up, in fact, staying in the city of Jerusalem. But when the people scattered, the gospel of Jesus was multiplied, and they preached the gospel wherever they went. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 8. This is right on the heels of Stephen's death. Acts chapter 8, and uh, we're going to begin about halfway through, um, well, the, fir- the the beginning of chapter 8 says, and Saul a- approved of their killing him. Now take a look at the, at the slides on your screen. On that day, A great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city what an incredible turn of events it seems. We've got the church growing in Jerusalem and, and doing great things and thousands of people coming to uh, to be followers and disciples of Jesus. And in a moment, violence breaks out against the church. The church scatters. Only a very small handful of believers remain there in Jerusalem where this whole thing seems to have started. And wherever, however, the rest of the believers went, they took the message of Jesus with them. And we come upon the story of a man named Philip. Now, Philip's name may be familiar to you, if if you remember much of the story of Jesus from those first four books of the New Testament, because Jesus had uh, one of his his twelve apostles named Philip. This is not the same guy, okay? How do we know this? Because we read in the text, we read it today, that the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. But this man, Philip, ends up going elsewhere. He goes to a city uh, called Samaria. And as you read all of chapter 8, you kind of kind of get a lens on the story of the life of this young follower of Jesus. I said young. I don't know if he was young. Philip's young in my mind's eye. That's how I see him. But wherever he went, he ended up taking the message of Jesus with him. And so in chapter 8, we, we find out that he's gone to uh, up into Samaria. We just read a, a portion of, of his ministry about how he was he was casting out evil spirits uh, along with preaching the gospel of Jesus. Where we stopped our reading, though, and you might continue yours this afternoon, we read some incredible stories, some miraculous stories. As Philip is there in Samaria carrying out his ministry in the ways that I've described to you, he meets a man named Simon who is a sorcerer. Now, if you think magician, and if you're, your uh, translation of the Bible... Uh, Uses that word magician, you might really want to rethink this. Because when I think magician, here's what I think David Copperfield on TV. Hey, listen, you cannot make the Statue of Liberty disappear. You cannot make the Statue of Liberty disappear. Or I think of going to Silverwood. It's this uh, this theme park up in in North Idaho. Great little place. And every time we go, we make sure we take in the magician show because that guy's good. I have some great memories of of one of our kids getting to be the assistant, you know, and um, you know them. I don't know, like stabbing him in a box or something. It was it was great. And that guy, he always puts on a fantastic show. But every one of us knows it's just sleight of hand. It's just trickery. It's just distraction, making you look over here while this hand takes. care care of of the things that, that need to take place to make for good entertainment. That's not what Simon was doing. The the, the sorcery that, we're, that we read that he was involved in really has a, a much darker tone to it. It has uh, the, the connotations that this man was not just out there tricking people, but that he was in fact in league with the forces of darkness, that he willingly participated and opened his life up to demonic powers that he then had some, I don't know, some sort of bargain with, that he could manipulate those powers to inflict people and to in fact then take from them their wealth. It was a way that, that evil was plundering the, the helpless people. This is who Simon is, but often people with great influence and people with great power are mistaken for something other than what they are, political officials. Um, Did I say that? I said that out loud, didn't I? Many times, people with great influence and great power are, are actually seen for something other than what they are. And so while Simon was doing these sorts of things in league with the forces of darkness, people began to refer to him as the great power from God. If you're a Christian who knows what, um, who knows what the, the, the title Holy Spirit or the, the person of the Holy Spirit is, that's really what they were implying, is that this man was the Spirit of God on the earth the only way that he could get these great powers, they thought. So imagine, you're that guy. You're thought of as, as that guy, the guy who is the literal power of God, and somebody comes onto the scene talking about somebody else who came, the, the, the Spirit of God Himself came and took on human flesh. Jesus is your biggest rival. Jesus is the guy that you've got to stamp out. You've got to knock out this message. Shouldn't be hard. That guy's dead and gone. But instead, when Simon goes to, to listen to the preaching of the message of Jesus, he's ready to do his, his magic acts. He's ready to, to unleash the, the powers of evil on this evangelist, Philip. Instead, something happens when he listens. And the real Spirit of God sensitizes this man's heart to the place that is he listens. He hears about the life of Jesus. He sees something very different than his own experience. And because of it, this one who who had been in league with the forces of darkness now believes in Jesus Christ as the real power of God on earth. He even goes so far as to say, I would like to be baptized in the name of Jesus. It's an incredible story. One of the most incredible stories in all of the New Testament. Absolutely love it. And so he very quickly uh, changes his life and he starts following Philip around Samaria, and he's watching very carefully and listening very carefully as Philip is preaching the message of Jesus. But an, an an interesting thing happens, because we read about Philip having great success with everything that he preached and taught. I mean, if, if you convince the devil worshiper guy to follow you, you're having, you're having pretty good success as a preacher, right? But there's a problem. It seems that Philip was, was not quite uh, good at his job, meaning he really he really didn't understand the full message of Jesus. He was an enthusiastic follower, but he didn't understand the full message of Jesus. And he had not proclaimed to these believers in Samaria that when they believed in Jesus and when they were baptized, that they could expect God to come and live in them. And so none of them, even though they believed in Jesus, even though they'd been baptized, they, they had not yet received God's Holy Spirit to come and live inside of them. The church in Samaria was Christian-ish, it was religious w- without the power of God. The Church in Samaria was born with a fatal birth defect. Well, the the uh, apostles down in Jerusalem, they find out about this, and they say, "Well, that's okay because we can fix this. It's still early." And so they send the big guns. They get Peter and John. Those guys go up to Samaria, not their favorite place, but uh, by by, uh, let's just say culturally speaking, but they had great memories of what had happened when they'd been up there with Jesus. Because when Jesus was on the scene, Samaritans believed. When Philip went in Jesus' name, Samaritans believed. And now they went up there and said, we know that God always grants His Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. God comes to live in people. So they went up there, I suppose probably ready to baptize people, but people had already been baptized. So they went, hmm well, I guess we'll just ask God to come and, and live in people. I kind of picture it this way, that as they were gathered there with those believers and they listened to them tell about their, their faith in Jesus and how they'd been baptized, but how they had no power for living out the demands of the gospel, no power for living that that kind of sacrificial love and longing for it, that that those two uh, followers of Jesus, those two apostles, Peter and John, that they probably just put an arm on a guy, put a, put a hand on a, on a lady and said, hey, 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 settle down. It's okay, because God's Holy Spirit's going to come fill you, and uh, it became the process of laying on of hands, but, but folks who were watching said, oh, when these two come, and they preach the full gospel, when they lay hands on people, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Simon was watching. You remember Simon? Simon, the guy who'd been in league with the devil, Simon, the guy who who gave up his his reputation as the great power of God to follow the one who really is, Simon, who said, I believe so much, I'll, I'll testify publicly and be baptized. You can count me among the followers of Jesus Christ. He was watching this, and he said, man, that reminds me of what I used to do. And you watch this miracle that took place when Peter and John would would lay their hands on people and say, receive the Holy Spirit. Something transformative happened in the lives of those people where they began to radiate God's joy and radiate His power. And they had the strength that they needed to then go and live as true followers of Jesus Christ. And he said, that's what I want to do. I don't want to do that stuff that I used to do, but I want the ability to do this. I want to be able to lay my hands on people and for them to receive God's Holy Spirit. So he just you know, did what people do. He walked up to the guys who had that power and he said, I've got to be able to do that and um, I'm willing to pay for it, so here's some money. It was not a good decision and Peter reacted uh, really, really strongly to all of that. But all the same, the message of Jesus was preached there. We have the story of Simon saying, oh, I'm sorry, I was wrong pray for me. We don't hear about him after that. Here's why. Because he just kind of disappeared into the mass of the church as another follower of Jesus Christ filled with his Holy Spirit. Well, Philip probably got a quick, uh, you know, explanation from Peter and John. Hey, make sure that you remember this business of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the next thing we know, Philip is on his way elsewhere. He's, he's left Samaria up kind of in the north, uh, northwest, and he's headed down toward the southwest. And he comes across this guy who's a member of the royal court of Ethiopia, way down in, in North Africa. And some miracles take place there too. And so I want to encourage you to read the rest of chapter 8 today to read the, the full story of, of Philip and this Ethiopian. But by the time it's all said and done, here's another guy who believes in the Lord Jesus and, and says, I want to be baptized and counted among the, the followers of Jesus. And the next sentence, Philip's just gone. We've got this guy, this, this royal guy with power, who suddenly says, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, and he's headed back to take the gospel to North Africa, and Philip's just missing. And the story tells us that somehow the Spirit carried him away to another place, like 35 miles away, and then he goes from town to town to town to town until he, he completes his little mission trip. Pretty incredible thing miracles, right and left. If you read Acts chapter 8, once you get past the first breakout of of persecution, and you get to the place where the church is being scattered, you'll find that the message of Jesus was preached, but there were also miraculous things that were taking place. And if you just read miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle, you get to the end of chapter 8. It's a real high point in the work of God, and you think, wow, If the book of Acts is about what happens when God comes to live in people and I read about all these miracles, well then maybe the point of chapter 8 is that when God comes to live in people, they can perform miracles. Or maybe you read it and you think, I don't know about me performing miracles, but I know that God does. So maybe the point of this chapter is that if you really believe in God, that you should ask Him for miracles. Hmm. I think that's a, in some ways, a fair reading of the chapter. And I got to tell you, that's exactly what I've done many times. But after reading it again in these last couple of weeks, I have to admit, there's some miracles that take place in that book. I also have to admit, there's some miracles that have taken place in my life. Great, good, and wonderful things that I have no explanation for other than the power of God used to benefit me, my friends, and my family. Yes, there are miracles today. Yes, there were miracles that took place in Acts chapter 8. But they are not the point of the chapter. Let's take a look a little bit deeper and you'll see what I mean. In the life of Simon the sorcerer, we see this guy that I already described to you who becomes a believer and a baptized believer. He follows Philip, but he doesn't get that whole message. Why? Seems that Philip himself was a little bit distracted. The mirror. This this is a hard thing to say, and I may get some boos. Uh, you know, boo. No, wow, say that. Set that in context, Cliff. I may not go. Get, I'm not going to go get some booze. <laughs> I may get booed in the uh, in the comment thread. Oh man, this is why people pre-record sermons instead of going live. Just right there. Good grief. Um, yeah, I may get booed here, but I'm just going to tell you exactly what, what I think this 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 chapter means. I don't think that the miracles in this chapter are the point of the chapter. in fact, I think most of the time they serve as the great distraction in the chapter. I will also say that the pursuit of miracles has often been the great distraction in the modern church. the distraction from what from the full message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The full message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that human beings, regardless of their condition, broken, sinful, far from God, destroying themselves, destroying others around them, every human being bears the image of God, is in some way like Him, and is loved very much by Him. And the God of this universe could not stand the distance between human beings and himself. So he did whatever it took to close the gap. And he comes always with love and with a message of hope. Hope in what? Hope that we can have a tight relationship, God and people, and that that relationship will begin to transform us from the inside out. How can a person be transformed on the inside by a relationship with a God who is outside? God says, I've solved that problem. I will send my Holy Spirit to live within you wherever the depth of your sin is, where the depth of your pain is, where the depth of your brokenness is, where the depth of your ignorance or misunderstanding are. My Holy Spirit will go there and bring light and life and truth. The full message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just that Jesus died on the cross that we might be forgiven of sins. The full message of the gospel of Jesus is not just that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. The full message of the gospel of Jesus is that that crucified, resurrected Jesus said, hang on, it's going to get better from here, because though I have been with you, I am going to send my Holy Spirit to live in you, and that is going to change you from the inside out in fundamental ways. If you read Acts chapter 8, you're going to see a lot of miracles. You may get distracted by them. But I want to remind you of a principle that I've taught you many times before. It's the law of repetition. There aren't very many people in this sanctuary today, just a few folks from the tech team and and the worship team. My friend Tom's sitting right down here, and Tom's a school teacher. Tom knows exactly what I'm talking about. If he says it once, it may or may not be important. You've said some things, Tom, that didn't matter in the end, right? Uh, But if you say it twice to the students, you really expect them to pay attention. If you write it on the board they had better write it down in their notebooks because it's going to come up later, right? Well, if you read the book of Acts chapter 8 from start to finish and you somehow get past being dazzled by the miracles, you will find that, the, that a reference to the preaching of the message of Jesus Christ, that, that phrase shows up seven times in one chapter. I submit to you, that if anything shows up seven times in one chapter, that's the point of the chapter. Listen, church, God may work some miracles for you, but I have to be honest. The vast majority of the time that I have asked God to work miracles for me, He has not worked those miracles. He's walked with me through some very painful things. He's walked with me through some, some things where I, frankly, was disappointed in Him. I would far rather he worked a miracle. He has said no to me in the miracle business many times. But I also must testify to Jesus being with me and his spirit being in me. Because somehow, long ago, someone faithfully proclaimed to me the full message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, I could be forgiven, and yes, I could have a new life like the life, like the resurrected life of Jesus, because His Holy Spirit would come and live inside of me. In the the days of the COVID outbreak, I think many of us are looking for miracles. There's nothing in the world wrong with it. Maybe you or your family members are sick. You're asking God to do something about that. I got a, I got a, a text from some friends last night who are, who are, making one of those middle-of-the-night trips because mom, elderly mom is now in the hospital with pneumonia. Dad can't be with her because of the COVID thing where they have to remain separated. haven't heard from them this morning, don't know how that's going, but I know what I did last night. I prayed for a miracle. Many of you are praying for miracles. Some of you are are looking at it in stimulus check, unemployment, it doesn't matter. The ends of the rope will not come together. You can't make the ends meet. You're wondering how this is going to go. You're asking God for a miracle. I get it. I wish I could just read Acts 8 and say, well, miracles happen when God comes to live in people. The truth is, sometimes miracles happen when God comes to live in people. But always when God comes to live in people, something we read in this chapter happens they start talking jesus if if you read the chapter seven times it says that philip or jane or uh, philip or or peter or john or whoever wherever they went they start talking about jesus it's the most predictable thing in the world that when somebody hears the full message of the gospel of jesus that he comes to live in your heart that as soon as as that happens in their lives they start talking Jesus. Not, not 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 in this forced way, not in the rehearsed speech way, not not in the sales pitch kind of way. It's just that he keeps coming up in conversation because we know him. I tell a lot of my friends about stories about Tom and, and his son Kyle, who's also my friend who led worship for us today. I, I tell folks about these guys because they're musicians and we understand one another and I admire their work and I tell other people, you gotta listen to this, you gotta tune in. Their names come up often. You know why? Because we're in close relationship. And when you enter into a close relationship with Jesus, you will talk Jesus. It is what happens when God's Holy Spirit comes to live in us. Now listen, I was trained to be a preacher. I know what a lot of you think I'm about to do right now. You think I'm about to lay it on thick and heavy That since you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, you should be doing a better job about talking about him. I I might lay on a little bit of guilt that, that you probably aren't talking about him enough. That's where a lot of sermons would go. That's not where I'm going today. I promise. Just wipe that, just wipe that away. That's not where I'm going. I have a question for you today. You've heard of Jesus. You believe that he's God's son. You believe somehow this incredible thing that because he was crucified, the innocent one, crucified, you, the guilty one, can be forgiven. You've asked him to do that. You believe he has. You've confessed, I'm, I believe in Jesus. He's resurrected from the dead. I think he's still alive. And um, You may have even gone so far as to proclaim that, not just with your mouth, but by the actions, the symbolic actions of baptism but you live day in and day out, kind of like the folks in Samaria, you don't really see the power that it takes to be a follower of Jesus. You long for it. You wish that you could be faithful, but you find yourself too often defeated. I'm not here today to tell you, well, if you'll just suck up your courage and get disciplined and and start talking about Jesus more, that you'll be just fine a question for you today. Have you heard the message of Jesus and accepted that, but have not been filled with his Holy Spirit? Let me just state it positively. still a question. Have you been filled with God's Holy Spirit? It's an incredible experience. I'm not here to sell you a feel-good, oh, do it. It feels awesome. I'm here to tell you about what is rightfully yours, that, that Jesus died and was raised again so that he could send his Holy Spirit to live in you. When you receive God's Holy Spirit, something happens immediately. You trade in your empty religion for relationship with the Holy God. This goes from you having a set of doctrinal beliefs to you having a life. And I'm here to tell you today, from what I've read in the Scriptures, this chapter alone, that God comes to live in people now what will happen what will come out of your mouth it'll probably be something about jesus But that's not what i want to focus on as we conclude today i want to offer you real hope that just as philip was a guy out there doing his best but not getting it done and then suddenly afterwards he's kind of miracle central there can be a similar kind of change in your life don't get distracted by the miracles focus on the message, the full message of the gospel of Jesus, having been forgiven, having come to the place of faith in Jesus, you can be the place where God comes and lives. The very best thing about Christianity isn't all the ideas about Jesus. It's the experience of God being so close. Sometimes you can't tell where you end and he begins. This whole business of Christianity it is about one thing and one thing only. It is about God coming to live in you. He's not asking for something from you. He's asking to give his his whole self to you, if you will just ask him. Maybe you've been baptized. Um, maybe maybe you'd like to be baptized. I can't do that for you today. You know, uh, we haven't figured out how to do virtual baptisms. <laughs> Fire hose, I guess we can open up one of these hydrants and you can drive by, kind of like birthday parade style. We could probably do that. Uh, if you want to be baptized, we can do that soon ish. But I, I firmly believe that in extenuating circumstances, like when the gospel was preached in Samaria, in, they're, they're, that, that God is not bound by rituals and forms, that where you sit, maybe maybe half a, a world away from where I stand in this sanctuary today, I'm telling you that if you call upon God and you ask Him to come and live in you, He'll do it. His Spirit will come and live in you. If you want that, why don't you just, why don't you just say that to God? I don't have a, a great emotional way to end this or a good Holy Spirit song because I'm not selling that today, an emotional experience. But I want you to know the full message of the gospel of Jesus. He he plans to come live in you. So I want to pray this for you, Lord. We're wrapping up the worship service today. And I have sensed your spirit here moving among us on the worship team when there were slides being shown uh, on the live stream, those of us who were in this room could could look at each other and, and smile and, and worship you together. I thank you for the way that your Holy Spirit makes us one. I think you've done that for some people who worshiped together in their homes. You've probably been doing that in, in churches that decided to start meeting today. Give you thanks and praise for that. But I know that the work of your spirit is is more than being a go-between, between between people. The the primary work that your spirit longs to do is to come and live in us. You're not just a bonding agent for the church. You're, You're not the glue in the organization. You're far more than that. You're the very animating life. Every believer. So Lord, I pray for those who've been baptized but don't know your power because they didn't know that you would come and live in them. For those who just today have come to the place where they say, I believe. Now what? I pray that your Holy Spirit who hears every one of those prayers, who stirred every one of those hearts would now go and accept their invitation for you to come and live in them. Then Lord, whatever it is that your spirit points us toward, including talking about you, we'll go and do it. There's all kinds of things that we wouldn't dare do alone. But if we really believe that you were in us, lots of things suddenly seem pretty doable. Like sharing this faith of ours. Lord, thank you that you sometimes work miracles Dog doggone it, I wish you'd do it more. But I'm not going to be distracted by those things today. Jesus, Christianity is about you from first to last. And I thank you that your ministry was introducing us to a God who says, In is better than with. So we welcome you and receive you, Spirit of God. God's people together said, amen. Friends, I want to thank you for taking the time to tune in today and to listen, uh, to participate, not just watch. Uh, I I trust that some of those songs that we sang earlier will make a few more laps in your head today, and you'll find yourself humming and and singing those words of praise over the, the, the course of the rest of today. I would, uh, one more time, just remind you that if you want to make a contribution to this ministry, firstnaz.com, click on the donate page, download the Tithely app. Um, I'm, I'm confident that you'll, you'll figure out how to do those things. But let me offer to you uh, something that the, the church historically is called the benediction. It's a big word that we don't use in any other setting than this one. Benediction just means blessing. Can, can I give you God's blessing today? May you know the presence of God around you and within you, so may you know both his power and his peace, and a whole bunch of joy as well. Grace and peace to you today. Amen.